if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Eight minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we're underway on a Tuesday, the 12th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Thanks for being with us. we got a good show lined up for you today, as we try to bring you each and every day. And uh, we're going to talk about bad guys today. Not just the bad guys that we know are committing the crimes, because the crime wave in this country, particularly in its biggest cities, is out of control. Even Brandon admitted that yesterday. Before, of course, doing absolutely nothing to address the problem of crime. But President Brandon at least acknowledged the crime is there. And instead of going after the criminals and the war on cops and the soft prosecutors and the no-cash bail laws and the weak judges that are essentially making it open season for criminals, he's going after ghost guns. What? Yeah, ghost guns. You probably saw a little bit of it. We're going to talk about it coming up in about a half an hour at 9.35. Steve Loomis is going to come back with us. He's a Cleveland police detective. He is a former, uh, two-time former, Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association president. And uh, he has been chronicling the statistics of not only the homicides in Cleveland, which always, it seems, year after year, continue to outpace the year before, but also the extraordinary attrition as police officers bail out, done, not putting up with it anymore, not putting their lives on the line whenever they can't even, frankly, they can't even trust that their efforts will will bear any fruit whatsoever, will pay any dividends whatsoever, put their life on the line to arrest a dangerous criminal, only to have them turned turned around and uh, put back on the street with no bail or super low bail. Running right back out there to commit more crimes. What's the purpose? And then if the officer does something wrong, even if it's in a good faith effort to do things right, you got a you got a civilian review board ready to take their badge or lock them up. It's an unbelievable situ- situation. It's happening all over the country. The lead continues to be Chicago from a sheer numbers standpoint. But when it comes to per capita... We are every bit as dangerous in Cleveland as they are in Chicago and in some of the other cities that we hear about all the time. 
high crime rates rates in New York, in L.A., in Oakland, in Atlanta, in St. Louis, some of the worst rates in the country. We are as bad or worse than any of them when it comes to a, now we're a smaller city, but when it comes to a per, a per capita basis. So we're going to talk about crime here in a moment. And at 9.35 with Steve Loomis. Then at 10.10, we'll probably talk a little bit more about that to get the perspective of our 10.10 guests. But we have a whole lot of other things to get into with Peter Kirsten out today. He'll be with us at 10.10 this morning, as he is, each, of course, each and every Tuesday. So Loomis at 9.35, Kirsten out at 10.10, and you're going to want to be here for both of those interviews. And, of course, uh, we welcome you <clears throat> Excuse me, to join us whenever you want to. You are a guest as well. Dial 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers will get you here, and we'll put you up and on the radio. Don't forget, you can leave messages for me, and I have more that I will be playing as the show goes on today. You can leave messages to be aired, your comments on whatever the news story of the day is, or your question for me, whatever the case might be. Go to alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. Click the sound off button on the right side in the upper right-hand corner. It'll say sound off. It's red, and you can leave your message. We'll put it right on the show. All right, now before we get into the top news stories of the day, what do you say we rise, patriots? I ask you now to stand and face your flag if you have one. I still love, by the way, the emails keep coming in. And I keep uh, not getting the page updated to show them all, but people continue to send me their flags that they salute and that they say a pledge of allegiance to each and every day. And I love you for that. I really do. So face that flag. If you don't have one, that's all right, uh, because we know that you would if you could. And if you are driving, of course, you don't have to stand either. If you are a leftist who believes that the crime problem can be solved by targeting an instrument rather than the criminal, then you have no earthly idea what this country is all about anyway. You have no interest in saluting it. You have no interest in pledging allegiance to it. So why don't you go ahead and take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us. To the flag. I think we missed the beginning of that. That's not good. Let's do it again. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all so we're going to start right there as noted i it's very easy by the way it would be very easy to start with um uh 8.5% what 8.5% that is the latest inflation number setting yet another record Congratulations, President Brandon. You have outdone yourself. A new 40-year high, up from last month's 7.9%. This time around, it's 8.5%. I mean, it's, it's an astounding number you almost have to try to reach. You really do. You almost have to be making an effort to say, I bet we can do better than that, which means, of course, worse than that. Inflation surged, surged 8.5% in March. The consumer price index rose by 8.4%, the fastest since January of 1982. The consumer price index uh, in March, uh, or, I'm sorry, 8.5, I said 8.4, we got a subheading here too. Uh, 8.5% is what the uh, uh, increase was in March, which is higher, there it was, higher than the 8.4% from January 1982. That's what we needed to hear, but the bottom line is, this is crushing American families. Congratulations to President Brandon for his new record of destroying American families. This is like a price hike. I think I disturbed Matt Dolan give the number in uh, his interview with Hugh Hewitt. 
uh, it's like a $5,200 tax on every American family. That's $5,200 in tax increases. Joe Brandon said when he took office, no taxes for anybody or tax increases for anybody over uh, or making under $400,000 a year. He, you know, it's, I have a very, very tough time with people assuming that I and that we are ignorant, that we are stupid, that we can't see things for what they are, figure things out as they are that will buy ridiculous lies like that. It's one thing for them to do these things. It's another thing to tell us. I won't use the old adage about you know, blanking on my leg and telling me it's raining. But they literally assume that we are stupid and that we don't know what's going on. As an example, Jennifer Saki, Peppermint Patty, Madam Circleback, whatever you want to call her, she seems to think... That And I know this is not just her. This is a, a branded administration media <clears throat> uh, positioning statement that they have come up with. But she seems to think, and they seem to think, that the more they say the words Putin, uh, Putin price hike, that we're going to buy it and believe that this is all because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. How many times is she going to say Putin price hike, Putin price hike, Putin price hike before she realizes that the people aren't buying it? Um, Hey, Jen, maybe this is a little bit difficult to get through that clown show ahead of yours, but your boss's approval rating continues to plummet below 40% in every single major poll. New lows in every single major poll. Actually, it was still over 40% in CBS at 42%, but again, an all-time low from that polling service when it comes to Brandon. And when it comes to handling the economy and inflation, it is under 40%. So nobody's buying your little Putin price hike tagline, no matter how many times you try to say it in a, uh, in, in a press briefing. To an earlier question on the CATSA waiver that would be required, um, I, I don't have an update at this point in time. I can see if there's more to report out to you for the end of the day. Go ahead. As far as CPI day, uh, it's probably obviously going to capture uh, the start of the war and increasing in flights and energy. Uh, can you give us a sense of what you're expecting and what, if any, changes will make for uh, what talks may or may not be going on with the Hill on what pieces that may or may not be passed of a bill that may or may not have a name? <laughs> Sounds very hypothetical and hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> okay. How high do you expect these numbers to be? Sure. No, no, I... attack on the strategy to pass what you believe to sure. be inflation cooling measures? Yes, I understand your question. They have no earthly idea how to cool the inflation because the inflation was not caused by Putin. The inflation in this this country, the extraordinary hike in prices from the clothing stores to the grocery stores to the auto parts stores to the fishing stores to the sporting goods and recreation stores to all of them, the prices have been spiking since Brandon took office. It has been noted by economists all over the country. And they want you to think that this whole thing started when Putin sent his troops into Ukraine. And again, I have I, I just take extraordinary offense to them continuing to try to sell us sell that lie, just thinking that we're stupid. 
I, I mean, I would rather have you just go ahead and tell your lie, but don't expect people, don't repeat it often enough thinking to yourself, if I say it more, if I say it more, if I say it more, then they'll start to believe it. It's Putin's fault. It's Putin's fault. It's Putin's fault. It's not, let's go Brandon, it's let's go Putin. It's Putin's fault. I, I, I take great offense at being talked down to. It's demeaning. It, it's insulting to think that they believe that we are this stupid. Um, so because of the actions we've taken to address uh, Putin, the Putin price hike, we are in a better place than we were last month. I'm going to stop right there and tell this bubble-headed bimbo that 7.9% consumer price index last month is better than 8.5% this month. How can you stand there and say that we're in a better place this month than we were last month? Because of, quote, the actions we've taken. What actions have you taken, Madam Circleback? None. Um, but we expect March CPA, CPI headline inflation to be extraordinarily elevated due to Putin's price hike. And we expect How a large difference times? between core and headline inflation reflecting the global disruptions in energy and food markets. So core infl- inflation doesn't include energy and food prices. Uh, headline inflation does. And, of course, we know that core inflation, you know, energy, the impact of energy, of course, on oil prices, gas prices, we expect that to uh, continue to to reflect what we've seen uh, the increases be over the course of this invasion. And just as an example... Again, the invasion. Again, invasion, invasion. Putin, Putin, Putin. Invasion, invasion, invasion. This, this woman thinks you are stupid. And if you're not insulted by it yet, you should be. Because this is what she is giving to the reporters that are in the assembled White House press corps and asking them to go to write to send to your mailbox or to your front porch or wherever you get your newspapers if people are still reading them, or to, to click onto their, their websites and to hear this. Putin caused 8.5%. Putin, invasion, Russia, Ukraine. That's what's causing all of this. They want you, she wants them, rather, to try to convince you. And I'm telling you, I see it as my job. I take it personally to help you cut through all of that nonsense. Go back and look at gas prices, for example. What were they on January 20th of 2021, the first day of the Brandon administration? They were just under two bucks a gallon. It didn't go from two bucks to four bucks right after Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine. It went from two bucks to around Two and a half bucks in the first part of 2021 in the the springtime. It went from about two and a half bucks to about 275 bucks in the summer to the fall. It went from 275 to 325 to 350 in the fall to the winter. And then it went from 350 to four bucks and over at the first part of this year. And that part did coincide with the invasion of Ukraine. And yes, obviously. The increase in gas costs because of the global uh, uh, oil supply disruption that was caused by that and by the sanctions that we have imposed. So you want to throw a couple of, of, of nickels at the extraordinary inflation, higher energy costs, higher clothing store costs, higher food costs. You want to throw a few nickels at the, the, uh, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and say that was caused by that. Okay, we'll give you a few nickels. We're not going to give you Putin price hike responsible for 8.5%. That's a Brandon price hike. 
and a nobody else price hike. President Putin's military buildup accelerated in January. Average gas prices are up more than 80 cents. Most of the increase in... What were they? Who was responsible for the other dollar fifty? Tell us, bubblehead. Who was responsible for the first dollar fifteen increase in increased gas prices? Do not demean us like this, you redheaded nightmare. Uh, occurred in the month of March, and at times gas prices were more than a dollar above pre-invasion level. So that roughly twenty-five percent increase in gas prices will drive tomorrow's inflation reading. And certainly, it's not a surprise to us, but we certainly think it will be reflected. And in March. <laughs> 25%. Gas is up over 100% from the time that Trump left office and Biden took over. It's up over 100% from 2 bucks to 419. 429 in some cases. And if you're in California, forget about it. 657 bucks. It is more than 100% higher. And she's talking about the Putin price hike being responsible for 25%. Where's the rest of it? These people are just infuriating with the way they talk down to us. All right. That, my friends, was a classic case study in ADHD. I told you I was going to start with the crime wave. And I said I could start with the inflation, but I'm not going to. And then I went ahead and started with the inflation. That's ADHD. Uh, I got off the course there. I'll find my way back and talk about crime. We're going to talk about that with our first guest anyway. Steve Loomis will be with us at 935. I guess you could say I kind of talked about both of them together because this administration is a crime. So maybe, uh, maybe the inflation and the crime stories actually found a way to merge together after all. 924, Always Right Radio, right back. Nine twenty seven AM fourteen twenty the answer always right radio appreciate you being with us. So did you see or hear any of Brandon yesterday tripping all over himself, trying to explain to you that ghost guns are the reasons why we have record high homicide rates in major American cities? That ghost guns are are the answer to solving the spiking crime wave all across this country. You see, it's not the criminals. It's not the soft prosecution uh, uh, tactics, the weak sentences by judges, the no-cash uh, uh, no bail rules put in place by legislators. It's, it's, it's ghost guns. He spent the entire press conference yesterday talking about how the problem is guns, not the people wielding the guns. Not the pe- By the way, a ghost gun is a gun that you can't track. They have been filing the serial numbers off of guns for all of recorded history since they started putting serial numbers on guns. All right? That makes it a ghost gun. The idea that this guy is stumbling on something new and I'm going to find a way to deal with this crime crisis and this gun problem and this gun uh, crisis, I mean, the guy doesn't even know what agency is supposed to deal with this. He served the Department of Justice for two decades. He works side-by-side to support the work of federal, state, and local law enforcement, including AFT agents. AFT? What's what's the AFT? The AFT, you bib- bubblehead, is is the American Federation of Teachers. It's a teachers union. 
ATF is the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Why do I know that and my president does not? Somebody explain that. If you commit a crime with a ghost gun, expect federal prosecution. Not just state, expect federal prosecution. So if you commit a crime with a ghost gun, you can expect federal prosecution. But if you commit a crime with a, crime with a regular gun, eh, don't worry about it. I mean, what? It's reality. They're not prosecuting people anyway, not with any meaningful type of vigor, and not sentencing people, requesting sentences and getting them from judges that would actually deter criminals from perhaps committing crimes. And if it didn't deter them, at least it locks them up so they can't commit more of them. I mean, why, again, is this so hard to figure out? This guy bumbled and stumbled and slurred his words past his polygrip in order to tell us that the problem is guns. Why won't he identify the criminals? I think you know why. You know exactly why. Because if he identified the vast majority of criminals committing these violent crimes, he would be hitting and hurting himself with a hugely important part of his voting block. A huge part of his base. And he does not want anybody to know that. Steve Loomis won't be afraid to tell people what's really going on. He's a former Cleveland Police Patrolman's Association president, now Cleveland detective, and he's watching all of this play out in real time in Cleveland, where we have a higher murder rate per capita than they do in Chicago, which is the murder capital of the country. In sheer volume... Loomis joins us next. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. When the left's propaganda is the biggest threat to your health, get your booster of common sense and keep yourself sane. Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 937 on Always Right Radio. Thanks for being with us. Don't forget, Kersenow coming up after the top of the hour. So, people may be wondering, you know, you keep talking about this price spike, or a price spike, that too, price spike slash hike, but crime spike is what I want to talk about now. Give us some examples. Okay, here's some examples. There have been 671 people shot so far this year in Chicago, 64 of them children. Overall, the city of Chicago had 797 murders last year, a 60 percent increase compared to 2019 some 4,375 people were shooting victims in chicago last year up from 2598 two years prior 2020 is an outlier because people were off the streets because of the covid lockdowns democrats continue to blame guns for the violence and yesterday biden said yeah it's the guns we got to crack down on the guns the guns the guns the guns and not the people shooting the guns, the guns, the guns. Because he doesn't want you to know who they are, because that will look very badly, uh, bad for him when it comes to his own voting block. Now, that's Chicago. And you want to know where it's worse than Chicago? Right here in Cleveland, Ohio. It's worse in Cleveland on a per capita basis. There are a lot more people in Chicago than there are in Cleveland. So sheer raw volume, Chicago is the murder capital of the country. But when it comes to um, per capita killings, homicides, Cleveland takes a backseat to no one. That's not a great thing to have. Uh, it's not a great statistic to be number one in or close to the top in. Joining us to talk about it now is former Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association President Steve Loomis, now, of course, a detective in Cleveland's 4th uh, District. Uh, uh, Steve Loomis, good morning. Good to have you back. How are you? Good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me. 
All right, Steve, uh, as I mentioned to you off the air when we were setting this up, I want to talk a little bit about the, the severity of the problem. You have been chronicling and tracking the stats in Cleveland when it comes to homicides for the last few years, and each year is worse than the last. And I, I don't think we can... I don't think we can look for a reason as to why the murder rate continues to go up in the city of Cleveland without also looking at the simultaneous drop in the number of police officers. The number of police on patrol continues to dwindle because of resignations, because of terminations, because of lateral moves, retirements, all of these reasons, and they're not doing anything to replace the numbers. Can you put some uh, put some numbers to that for us? Um, yeah, absolutely. The... It's hard in the law enforcement profession to find candidates because of the false narrative that the media puts out there. Mm-hmm. Um, a very, very small portion of the, of our community um, doesn't like the police because we mess with their lives. We mess with their livelihoods. The vast majority, and I'm talking about 95% of the folks in every single neighborhood in the city of Cleveland, and everywhere else are law-abiding citizens, and they love us. So I'm not sure why this small group gets such a, a huge uh, response from um, media and, and that type of thing. So most of the people out there just want to live in peace, and uh, we don't have the ability to do that right now. We're in, in Cleveland, we're over 200 police officers below our budgeted staffing level. That, that means that the city council gave us money uh, we have money in the books for an, an additional 200, but we can't retain them. That's the bigger problem that we have uh, in the city of Cleveland. Why? The lowest what, what, are, what, are, what are some of the reasons why they're resigning and retiring early, and all of the other reasons they're leaving? Well, they're going to the 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 reasons are the wage and benefit package, and as long as I've been on your show, Bob, you'd never hear me talk about money. But that's a reality. When you can go to Columbus and make literally $30,000 more a year and not have to deal with a consent decree and this issue 24 and everything else that's going on in this city, um, why would you come here? So that these guys are leaving. They're going through our academy, and they're leaving by the dozens um, to go to the suburbs that are going to treat them a little bit better financially, and uh, spiritually, if you will, they're going to have their backs. Right now, we don't feel so. That, in, that in, in, the spirit has of, their backs. in the spirit of that, Steve, why, mm-hmm. why can't the city up the pay? And let's say you've got the budget, the money's there. This wouldn't be new money that would be asked for uh, from Cleveland taxpayers or anything else. The money is there for 200 officers, and they can't get them. Why don't they increase the pay and at least hire another 100 officers? Increase the pay for the for the new ones to get them in to you know to everybody. If you own them, uh, if you own a Taco Bell, you drive by now and you see the marquee. It says "Need help." Eighteen dollars to start. Yeah. You know, a year ago it was nine dollars to start, but they've got to get people in there in order to stay open. I would argue the city of Cleveland has to do the same thing. And if you can't get two hundred people at current salaries, then you get a hundred new officers at at increased salaries, and then of course you're going to have to go back and and take care of the people who are already in the union. But you understand the point right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is a wage and benefit package. Um, we're the lowest paid of the big cities in Ohio, if you can believe that. And we're by far and away the busiest. And that's not a dig on any of our brothers and sisters in any other city in this state, but that's a reality. And the, the political will does not exist. This is not a problem 
um, that just popped up all of a sudden. Um, we've been seeing this for years and years and years. Decreases in our budget. Um, you know, City of Cleveland never really came out and said we're going to defund the police, but that's exactly what they've been doing since 2003 when Jane Campbell thought it was a great idea to get rid of 252 cops most of them working in community policing in the DARE units, um, by the way. So we're, we're missing our kids. But they're not taking the guys off the street. They're taking them out of the specialized units, those, those uh, where we had positive interaction with the kids, school-age kids, impressionable kids, you know. Um, so it's just a lack of political will at this point. We Steve, know, I, read, uh, I read this number. Tell me if this is accurate, that 69 Cleveland police officers have left in the first three months of this year. Yeah, that's that's correct. That's a, that's an asto- correct. that's an astounding number, and and uh, now I'm sure there's a mixture. Here, average, right? They're not all going to Columbus. They're going to some of them are just uh, getting out of the policing profession altogether because of the and that's the other part of this. You know, after after what happened in the summer of 2020, and this full on, we need to abolish police, we need to defund police, we need to do this, that, you create social protection units, and uh, you know, filled with social workers instead of cops and all this yeah. stuff. Um, you know, all of those things are driving some guys out of the profession altogether they're not just switching to another city they're just saying i can't do this i don't want to wear this badge and i don't want to get shot or get arrested for shooting somebody else because uh you know because somebody's going to decide that it wasn't justified yeah absolutely and and you know the lack of support from um the criminal justice system i mean we do a great the men and women the Cleveland police department do a fantastic job with the resources they're given to do the work in um but they're going to get burnt out i mean these guys are working WDOs, they're working their days off constantly. They're being held over, forcibly held over um, for a second shift. Um, you cannot maintain that level of work ethic and not get burnt out, and especially when you're going run to run to run to run to run. So these are all problems that, that we know that we have, but very little, if anything, is being done to address them. We put an academy class of 20, 30, 40 people in, well, in the length, the six month period that the academy's in there, 100 to 120 people are leaving at this rate. Um, prior to this, give me, five give years me a comparative ago, here, Steve. Give me a comparative. You're getting 20, 30, 40 in an academy class. What were you getting in an academy class 10 years ago? Um, they were overlapping classes 50, 60, 70 people in academy class. My academy class started with 80 in it. You know, that was. So more than back. enough. So more than enough to cover the attrition. Yeah, absolutely. Back then, the attrition was literally, it was 9.2 officers per month were leaving, and most of them were leaving because of retirements, mm-hmm. not resignations, not being fired. You know, we've had more police officers fired um, in the last three years than we had in the previous nine years. If, if, he, so, if that makes any sense, that's, so that's, that's a crazy number. So, so nine officers a month ish leaving back then. Now it's twenty three, at least in the first three yeah. months of this year. Sixty nine in the first three months. Twenty three officers officers a month are getting out. So this has got to be a huge part of the reason why the homicide rate continues to rise, the violent crime rate uh, continues to rise. Um, what was your impression yesterday of the the press conference uh, with with uh, uh, Biden finally having to address? You know, he is below forty percent overall in most. He is well mm-hmm. under 40% when it comes to his handling of crime, because people are seeing this all over the country, huge crime spikes, more shootings, and more and more 
of these violent crimes, Steve, we're finding out are being committed by people who were let out with no cash bail or very low cash bail because of new policies put in place by, sorry to make it political, but by left-wing uh, judges and prosecutors when it comes to requesting bail uh, and when it comes to soft, len- lenient sentences. These people are coming out yeah. and, and going right back to the, to the life. Yeah, there's no consequence for bad behavior anymore, especially in the juvenile court system. Um, here, we've experienced that firsthand here in Cleveland. Um, the kids are getting younger and younger that are committing these violent crimes, and there's nothing is changing in that system. Um, the reality is is that guns aren't killing people. You know, um, Joe Biden, President Biden, has lost his mind. Well, we all know that, but he's lost his mind if he wants to try to blame guns. Just the other... just. Two months ago, he was celebrating President Zelensky for passing out hundreds of thousands of weapons to to his citizens to defend his borders and to defend themselves and defend their families from from an onslaught. Um, Now, all of a sudden, guns are the problem here. It's a ridiculous notion. The Second Amendment was not created for hunters. It was not created for target shooters. It was created so that the citizens can, can keep a oppressive government at bay and that's exactly what he does not want that's what this agenda driven nonsense is i've I've been a cop 29 years i've not ever seen a ghost gun you know i've heard of them but in 29 years hundreds of guns i've dealt with if not thousands um I've never seen a ghost gun. I've seen a handful of guns where the serial number was filed off. Right. That's never, a, that's what makes it a ghost, ghost gun, gun because it's it's not trackable or traceable or or well, uh, you, know, you don't know where it came from. This is what they this is what he, he's talking about. He it's a term that was never even I I, I swear he made up. I, I didn't hear it before yeah. this. This is this yeah. is his way of making guns sound really really extra scary. These ghost guns. Ooh, we don't know where those came from. Those are extra dangerous. It doesn't yeah. matter whether a serial number is filed filed off, whether the gun was ordered in pieces and assembled, or if it was bought on the black market. Guns are available anywhere and everywhere, and it's not the presence of the guns that is the issue. It is the intention of the criminals, and he refuses sure. to address that. Well, look at look at Sacramento, our most recent tragedy. You know, the mainstream media is calling that uh, a, um, a mass shooting. Well, no, it wasn't a mass shooting. It was two gangs, rival gangs, shooting and killing each other and other people, you know? Um, all three of the guys that were arrested had felony records, which, which would have prevented them from owning a gun legally. Um, two, at least two of the guns that I'm aware of were stolen guns, which makes it an illegal thing to have. And they're shooting at each other. The media wants to make it sound like somebody just walked into that nightclub and just started blasting away. That's not the case. It was two rival gangs that we're shooting at each other. And that's um, the case in all of these, you know, the vast majority of these huge numbers I just read in Chicago. Uh, they're almost all violent gangs shooting at one another, but of course doing yeah. it in public settings to the point where innocent people are, are hit. Uh, 64, yeah. again, of the 671 people shot in Chicago so far this year were children. So they don't yeah. care who gets caught in the crossfire. And, and again, is Biden talking about that? He won't, because the vast majority of gangs 
are are are, are minority gangs. And if he yeah. blames minorities here, he's going to lose more favor with a very important voting block that he has. Well, and again, in, in, in the, the narrative of I'm sorry, the narrative of uh, uh, police officers uh, targeting and profiling and and uh, and being more aggressive with uh, with minorities suspects as well continues to uh, you know to to further that narrative, and again makes cops not want to go and do their jobs. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'll tell you what, Bob, he is doing a disservice to the victims because the victims are minority victims for the most part. Here in Cleveland, 90% of the homicides that we've had over the last three years are African-American suspects killing beautiful African-American people, sure. little kids, the grandmother sitting on her front porch watching the kids. Um, so you're 100% right. They're, they're indiscriminately shooting but that's a reality so we as a community need to figure out well first they have to have the political will to identify the problem and then as a community we need to figure out what we can best do to solve it it's a social economic issue it's not a black white issue and and you know the economy now is playing into that the gas prices um you know it's annoying to me because i've been blessed with a job um, it is devastating to, to a single mother that, that lives in the, in the neighborhood on assistance and fixed income, trying to work at two jobs to raise her three kids. That is devastating, uh, an extra three or $400 a month to a person like that. So they have no idea the people, or they have, they don't care who the people are that they're hurting with this nonsense that they're, that they're pushing. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's the reality. That's not um, me calling anybody names or, or anything else. That's the reality. No, but the, ra- the racial part of it does say. need to be brought up, though, Steve. And the reason why is because the narrative that the left and people like Joe Brandon would, would want to push is that, you know, African-Americans are afraid of cops. They don't want cops around because cops target them. And and the truth is, statistics are not even close about, I mean, are, are, excuse me, are very, yeah. very clear. It's not even close that the overwhelming majority of residents who want more policing in their neighborhood are black people. African-Americans yeah, want cops in their neighborhoods because they know when the cops aren't there and visible, they're in trouble. And they're not in trouble yeah. from outside suburban white people coming into those communities. They're in trouble from the people who live in those communities with the black-on-black crime rate. Uh, so they want cops around, and nobody is willing to address that. Yeah, absolutely they want cops around. I hear that. I go to these community meetings. I'm a speaker. Um, at a, I'll go anywhere that somebody invites me to, to go to talk real to them. And I'm out on these crime scenes, and I'm telling you what, we are getting more cooperation from citizens now than I can ever remember having in a detective bureau in my years gone by. Um, they want to get involved because they're sick of it, Bob. Yeah. Every single law-abiding citizen in this city is sick of the way things are going, sick of the way uh, they're not being challenged and you know you can't do more with less we're way no. past that and and you know you we're continuously losing people and there's no end in sight right now there's no, no plan no, in I place. Know. And, and it's only going to get worse because issue 24 hasn't even really been taken effect yet 
You know, they're no, building they're building that yeah. civilian review board, and uh, uh, they're going to try to you know overturn the dis- disciplinary decisions made by chiefs and 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 you know actual cops, and they're going to come out there with an axe to grind, and and it's only going to drive more and more cops out of the uh, the business. Uh, yeah, so, thank you so much for the time, Steve Loomis, former president of the Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association, trying to make some sense out of the Biden lack of response to the violent crime spike in Cleveland and across this country. Steve, thanks so much for the time. Thanks, Bob. All right, there you go. That's uh, Steve Loomis on AM 1420, The Answer. He knows what he's talking about. He tracks these statistics. He did it all during his time as the uh, Police Patrolman's Association president, Cleveland Police Patrolman's Association president, uh, and he's still watching very, very closely. The homicide numbers that are outpacing uh, last year's, uh, which outpaced the years before, is which outpaced the year before. I mean, really, it is an annual record each each uh, year uh, in the city of Cleveland. All right, nine fifty five. Always, always right. Radio. We'll be right back. Right, thanks to uh, Steve Loomis again for bringing us some reality about what's going on and what's causing the crime problems in Cleveland and, in, dare I say, around the country. You know, cops aren't allowed to be cops. They're scared to death that if they get into a use-of-force situation, they're going to get accused of excessive force or lethal force. And if they try to hold off and hesitate because they're afraid of that and they're afraid of being prosecuted, well, then they just get shot and killed. I mean, cops are dying at a rate now across this country, unlike anything we've seen in my lifetime. Cops are being shot and attacked unlike any other rate that I've ever seen. And we're wondering why crime is out of control. Police aren't allowed to go out there and be proactive. If they're proactive, they're accused of profiling. If they're aggressive, they're accused of excessive force. So they stay back. And they just sit in their patrol cars, and they wait for a radio call. Not going to go and get themselves involved in something that that uh, may get them in trouble, or 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 hospitalize them, or worse. They're just waiting for the radio call. They can't be proactive. So what? Guess what? The criminals aren't stupid. They might be evil, but they're not stupid. They're like Democrats in that way. You know, it's the reality is most of them are Democrats, really. If you think about it. Um, anyway. Criminals aren't stupid. They realize that the cops are pulling back, that the numbers are down, that the chances of them committing a crime and a cop showing up to bust them are slim and none, that they can get away with it very easily. And then they find out if they do get caught and they do get arrested, they get set back, set free on a no-cash bail because it's racist to ask for cash from poor people who have been arrested. That's what they we're told. That's what the Biden administration has put into place. That's what these Soros-funded judges have all decided, prosecutors. So then they know they're getting right back out. And if they do see the whole thing to the end and they actually go to trial, then they've got soft-on-crime judges, bleeding hearts, saying, we want to help fix you. We can't fix you on the inside. We're going to let you go, and, and, and we're going to fix you on the outside. And it's just... It's just it's the same cycle, just repeated again and again and again. 10 o'clock, news time. Peter Curson now knows a thing or two about crime. We're going to ask him for his input on this subject. He's a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He's next, and a lot more on the AM 1420 The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth. 
or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now at eight minutes past. Thanks for being with us on a Tuesday. It's the 12th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord 2022. It is, of course, Holy Week, so I certainly wish you uh, a very blessed week. Uh, thanks again to Steve Loomis, who joined us last half hour, talking about some of the crime problems in this country and some of the root causes, including the lack of police officers in places like Cleveland, uh, and then the lack of a will on the part of prosecutors and judges to do anything to deter crime or to lock dangerous people up. All of that. Uh, very important information. We're going to get the uh, perspective of another guest on that story and more right now. That guest, as you know, needs no introduction because he's been our regular guest for going on eight years now. Every Tuesday at this time, he is, of course, the longest-serving member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is an attorney in Cleveland. He is a best-selling author. He is a columnist and a sometime um, uh, law professor as well, and he is Peter Kersenow. Pete, good morning. How are you, my friend? Doing great, Bob. Beautiful day in Cleveland. Yes, indeed, it is. All right, Peter, um, I don't want to repeat all of the numbers that I was just talking about with Steve, because I know you're familiar with them. I just want to get your perspective on what you saw yesterday. Joe Biden is getting extraordinarily low approval numbers across the board, quite frankly, but specifically on individual matters like inflation. We found out that today inflation is at a new 40-year high of 8.5% computer price, uh, uh, excuse me, consumer, consumer price index, uh, on uh, matters of, uh, of, uh, immigration, but, but specifically on crime. He's well under 40%. Nobody trusts him. And yesterday, I think we saw why. His response to the rising crime rate, particularly violent crimes, shootings, and homicides, is to focus not on the criminals and not on the system that is supposed to protect people from them, but on the guns, specifically ghost guns. He spent a great deal of time at this big old press conference yesterday talking about ghost guns and how guns can be bought in little pieces and then assembled in any house, and then anybody can have a gun if they want to. I don't believe, Peter, that he has any earthly idea why the Second Amendment was written, what its intent was. And more than that, I think he's being disingenuous um, when it comes to trying to deal with this problem. He doesn't have a solution because the solution would involve dealing with members of a very important voting block of his. Uh, because the overwhelming number of these shootings, the overwhelming number of these crimes are being committed by uh, minorities who vote Democrat. So rather than identify them and call for tougher laws to to deal with that situation, he just wants to turn it around and say, guns, 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 guns. And you say what, Pete? Yeah, it's a charade. It's deflection. There's been, as you just indicated, and I, I understand you had a guest on, what was it, uh, Steve Loomis? You Steve had Loomis, on? yes, sir. Yeah, and he probably knows the stats even better than I do, but so I won't belabor that point. We all know there's been a significant crime spike, which you and I predicted two years ago at the advent of the George Floyd, uh, and I was on all over Fox talking about, yeah, here's what's going to happen. We can almost predict a percentage increase to, to, a, to a decimal point, and uh, we did. Uh, the fact of the matter is not one iota of the spectacular spike in crime is attributable to any kind of increase in the availability of guns. So this whole ghost gun, which, you know, I got to tell you, I don't even know what that is. My, my, my uh, understanding is the Democrats call 
any weapons that don't have serial numbers on them or if, if they've been manufactured, don't have serial numbers on them by individuals, or if they've been filed off, they call them ghost guns. There's no indication whatsoever that there's a greater availability of so-called ghost guns or there are more commission of crimes with ghost guns. So this is a complete deflection. It's not being serious whatsoever. And you're right, he's between a rock and a hard place, not just on the crime issue, but so many things that have gone wrong in the last year and a quarter as an express result of Democratic policies. They said they were going to do A, B, C, and D. They did. And then as a result of doing those things, things went bad at the border with respect to crime, with respect to Afghanistan, with respect to inflation, you name it. You can take a straight line from one of their policies to some deleterious action that's occurring right now. And the problem is they still remain unserious, except for the fact that they know they're in dire electoral straits. Everyone understands it, everybody acknowledges it, and they have to do something cosmetically to deflect attention from their abject failures. So they're trying to convince people that they're being serious about crime, inflation, all these other things, when they're simply dub either doubling down and making the problem worse, or just deflecting and not paying any attention to it, and it's going to remain just as bad as it is right now. Either way, it's unforgivable. And on top of that, you know, Biden usually doesn't know what he's talking about. In this case, he knows precisely what he's talking about. This is a guy who's been involved on this issue, and usually he's been, and for, for a while, he was right. He was purportedly, quote-unquote, tough on crime. Um, and he's backpedaled from that because his core constituency, the AOCs of the world, they, they recoil from any kind of expression of law and order on the part of Democrats. They don't like that. You know, it's against the law to be, be in right. favor of law enforcement. So um, th this is attributable directly to Democratic policies. It was predictable. We predicted it. Uh, you didn't have to be a rocket scientist to predict this stuff. We saw it with George Floyd and then... There's so many things that they did to compound the matter. It's not just that they're unserious about crime and guns and everything else, but they took overt action, such as, uh, you know, they've installed prosecutors, they've installed other political figures, judges that are completely unserious about crime. In fact, they've got an ideological perspective, which they've derived uh, at least since law school. That says that the United States, because it's systemically racist, imprisons people because of racism, and these poor folks that are in prison, you know, they're political prisoners. They're not criminals. They're not rapists. Right. They're not murderers. And what happens as a result, of course, but you know things are bad, Bob. When a couple of days ago, Al Sharpton, of all people, came out and said the Biden administration doesn't understand. He's not listening to the people in the inner city about the effect of, of crime on them. This is a guy who's throwing gasoline, meaning Al Sharpton, on a fire for I don't know how many years. He was the guy who was at the forefront of defund the police. And now he sees that he's on the wrong side of history, a phrase that the Democrats like to use all the time. And so he's doing a pivot, and you're supposed to forget that this is one of the primary arsonists when it comes to the crime increase. You're exactly right, uh, Pete. And... You know, you're right to identify the George Floyd situation as being the genesis of this new wave and this, um, you know, this exactly what we predicted, this this spike in crime and this uh, lack of policing. Of course, the calls to defund and abolish police certainly contributed that, too. But I think now the problem is less George Floyd and more George Gascon. 
It's more yeah. these left-wing prosecutors, districts, district attorneys, um, who, who think that somehow, you know, through their weird sense of, of, of you know, moralistic uh, um, behavior, they, they, they feel like they're doing something to undo the damage that was done in the pre in the Jim Crow era uh in the pre civil rights era all of these things that were done where minorities were given a short shrift and so forth we can undo it all by not locking them up whenever they commit crimes and and that seems to be the motivation behind him behind uh, uh Chesa Bodine in uh, uh or Bowden Harvey said in uh, in San Francisco and in so many other places these left wing soros influenced if not bought uh, prosecutors, along with left-wing judges giving lenient sentences, they don't want people to be put in jail anymore because it's not equitable. If you put the same number of people in jail who are committing the most violent crimes, you're going to have a very unequitable number of of, uh, of African Americans or of minorities in our jails and in our prisons, and that, of course, just cannot stand, Pete. Yeah, it really makes your brain hurt, almost literally, when you listen to what they have to say. These are people who have, and I don't think they really care that much about history, but they have no understanding of history. I don't think they've read history. Unfortunately, for the last 40 years, we've not been teaching history in a rigorous fashion, whether it's K through 12, and, you know, with some exceptions. I don't mean to paint a broad brush. Or, or just as importantly, in college and in law schools, there's an ideology and in education schools that, that is developed that is, if it's not critical race theory, it's consistent with the precepts of critical race theory. In other words, America bad, America racist. And so you've got, as you've indicated, the Chase of Bodines and Larry Krasners and Kelly in a Philadelphia, the Kim Foxes in Chicago, uh, the guy in, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but just became... Um, the attorney, uh, the uh, city attorney for New York City. Uh, all these folks are cut from the same cloth. They all have been funded by the Soros and or similar organizations, and they've been about releasing criminals. Now, um, Steve Loomis knows this. Every cop in the city of Cleveland knows this. Most cops everywhere understand this. These are not political prisoners. I remember one of my good friends used to be a sheriff in Cook County, Illinois, and he used to tell me that, he said, you've got to try hard to go to prison. I mean, you know, it's not a cavalier effort. You've got to try hard to get to prison. And he told me this 40 years ago before the current craziness when we've got all these liberal judges and prosecutors. So there are no political prisoners there. This has nothing to do with racism or anything. We're bending over backwards for criminals. And as a result, they're taking advantage of us. Criminals don't have a, uh, the, the kind of consciousness as, oh, they're being very nice to us. So I'm not going to rob this guy. I'm not going to burglarize this place. I'm not going to shoot this individual. They're not making judgments like that. And let's face it, the majority of cr- criminals out there are not, you know, necessarily rocket scientists. They're acting on impulse. And the impulse that they've been driven by is that the, the, there's this message that's been sent, and not very subtly anymore, that society is bad and society is responsible for all the bad things that they did, so they may as well go ahead and do it. They've been deprived somehow of their just desserts by a racist society. So go make up for it by, you know, robbing somebody and getting your money there because you've been deprived of that money or doing whatever it may be. There's a license, an unstated license that's been granted to thugs because of this. And this is not a nice thing to say, but it's the truth. And cops are being villainized. You, you, you have... Um, Attrition in almost every major metropolitan police force, and who can blame them? They're not getting any support whatsoever. They're being um, portrayed as villains. They're the bad guys. 
And it's easy for members of elite media and some politicians to characterize them as such because they don't live in the neighborhoods that are effective. Al Sharpton, of course, is now making a pivot and saying, hey, we've got to listen to these people, the ordinary people. They don't like what's going on here. You and I have been talking about that for the last couple of years. In my neighborhood, you go talk to responsible citizens in my neighborhood, across the street from me, next door to me, talk to those individuals, and I've said this forever on your program, not one of them says defund the police. To a person, they say, we want more cops. Heather McDonald has done an extensive study on this, and he, she saw the exact same thing in a number of jurisdictions. Yep. Not rocket science. We know this, but unfortunately, we have to repeat it because so many people seem to ignore it or forget it. You know, uh, Pete, you're exactly right. By the way, when you talk to people in my neighborhood, which is a far, you know, half hour outside yep. west side suburb, um, we talk about we're not going into Cleveland at night. It doesn't affect us because we don't live there, but we're not going there to let it affect us. And that impacts, of course, the economy of the city and and, and ultimately of the entire region of northeast Ohio. So that part people need to understand. It impacts people outside of the city limits of the urban centers as well. Um, yeah, Bob, you, you some... guys are just racist. That's all. <laughs> that's all. That's that's what it is. Pete, um, uh, you mentioned the New York City uh, DA uh, uh, Alvin Bragg. I just want to read this quick uh, clip or this this uh, this piece uh, in which he pledged when he took over to reduce both violence and incarceration simultaneously. <laughs> On his third day in office, he sent a memo stressing diversion and alternatives to incarceration, such as crisis intervention programs, instead of sending some criminals to jail. The no-jail-time exceptions are murder, a crime that involves someone's death, but hold that thought, or a felony. Uh, Other serious uh, crimes, such as cases of armed robbery, they're being reduced to misdemeanors. And also, this is where I said hold that thought. While murders will still be result in incarceration if they get convictions, he vowed. Oh, thank goodness! He he vowed sentences limited to twenty years for all crimes, including murder convictions. Uh, also, not prosecuting trespass offenses, uh, resisting arrest, not prosecuting resisting arrest, which means beat the hell out of the cop trying to arrest you and get away, and they can't do anything. Uh, subway and bus fare beating, and also sex work. He also reduced charges for stealing from stores or from home storage areas and reduced charges for drug dealing. Now, Pete, I, I get the the second part of his two-pronged approach here. He said he wanted to reduce both violence and incarceration. He's going to reduce the incarceration. Violence, not bloody likely. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, we think that this is just sheer stupidity, and there's a significant element of that, but it's also ideology. They actually believe in this stuff, and they don't care. That's the, the point. They think America and Americans deserve this. So New York City is going to turn or descend further into the sewer. We all already have seen a mass exited from New York City. New York City is a great city, and if you've gone there, you know, if you went there, say, 10 years ago, especially during the Giuliani uh, era, it was a decent place to be. But People are fleeing from New York, mainly going to places like Florida and other Republican-held uh, jurisdictions. Yeah. And it's going to it's 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 incredible. You go through the subway systems there. You go. It, it, no one feels safe. As Americans, regardless of whether or not you pay taxes, because now we're getting to a point where our labor is paying taxes. Anymore, as Americans, we do not deserve this. 
and we should hold our politicians accountable. And frankly, let's hold one another accountable. Our school systems are teaching the kind of drivel that necessarily results in the kind of attitude that you see from an Alvin Bragg and Kim Fox and others. Our institutions are peddling this nonsense. One of the reasons why I think a lot of parents intuitively understand the danger of critical race theory is that the critical race theory perpetuates this kind of insanity that we're seeing here. It excuses the kind of conduct that's led to this crime wave. And and if we have more and more of that, we're going to be educating an entire generation of kids. We're going to turn out to be predators. I, I'm, I don't mean everybody. It's not, you know, I don't mean to exaggerate, but we see the deprecation that we're having right now. It's only going to get worse, both through the pipeline well. and those individuals who are charged with making sure that it doesn't get worse. Two quickies as we had to break here, Pete. Uh, number one, it's funny you mentioned people are leaving places like New York for places that are Republican-held like Florida. It's funny that the new mayor of uh, New York City, Eric Adams, is buying billboard space in Florida, telling people, come to New York where you can say gay as much as you want. Uh, you're going to get stabbed, you're going to get shot, and we're not going to do anything about it, but come here because you can have free speech here to say gay as much as you want, unlike that bigot down there in Florida. So I thought that was hilarious. And number two, um, uh, oh, I think I lost it already. Dog on it. I should have stayed stuck with one. All right, I'll figure it out and remind you on the other side. Kirsten, out back with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, it's 1028, so only two minutes here before the bottom. Peter Kirsten, now a little quickie here, because you mentioned CRT and its role in everything that we were just discussing, uh, particularly as it pertains to DEI or DIE, as I like to call it, equity and, uh, and how it's applied in, in the law. Um, we're going to need to talk a little bit more about CRT and the 1619 Project and how they relate. Take two minutes talking about that because the 1619 Project is experiencing a resurgence. It is finding its way into more curricula around more schools across the country despite bipartisan efforts to debunk its fiction. Um, can you give us two minutes on that and then we'll talk more on the other side? Yeah, let me just give you a discrete aspect to that. One of the reasons why it continues to metastasize throughout our school system is because if you go to, and I wrote an article about this about a year ago in The Federalist, if you go to our teachers' schools, uh, either the teachers' colleges or the majors, what you have found that the curricula in those places, to a large extent, has been in fused with not just critical race theory, but leftism generally, but definitely critical race theory. New teachers coming out, and they're churning them out like an assembly line, are completely uh, immersed in the, the CRT philosophy and that America is essentially racist. And it, it, it was compounded by, you know, we mentioned George Floyd. There's this zeitgeist that everybody with a brain has seen, that you're not supposed to say certain things, that you must say other things, and that, in fact, we must bow our heads and understand that America is inveterably racist, and almost everything related to the educational system must be centered around countering that, even if it's math or science. And this kind of poisonous ideology, it, you know, anyone who's been alive for more than 20 years, you don't, you don't take courses on this, you just know that it's human nature, that if you have an atmosphere like that, an atmosphere that's championed by the elites and in our institutions, 
it's going to result in bad things, multiple bad things. And among those bad things are increases in crime. It's going to happen. If you have, it's, it's kind of a philosophical broken windows theory. And that is that if society is not worth preserving, it is, if it's so inveterably racist, then what's the big deal about maybe breaking a window or maybe breaking a window and then maybe stealing something out of that window or maybe breaking somebody's leg? And there's this kind of progression that occurs. Very smart people from Edward Banfield to you name it, Thomas Sowell, have talked about this kind of progression, and it's something that we all intuitively knew when we were growing up as kids. We understand what happens. You don't mow the lawn, pretty soon something else falls apart. And here, this is what's happening on a broad-based, systemic basis in our educational system. It, it can't end well. Peter Kersenow. We're going to talk more about that on the other side, uh, and thank you so much for that great synopsis. Stay with us. Kersenow continues on AM 1420 The End. is always left. Tune your radio to the right and find a voice of reason amid the liberal chaos. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. 1038 now. We continue on Always Right Radio with Peter Kersenow joining us on AM 1420. The answer. Pete, I want to just uh, spend a couple more minutes on this. The reason I brought up the 1619 Project and its uh, revival, if you will, and not that it ever really went away, but it's being spread more and metastasizing. I think that's the best way to put it, as you did. Uh, An article uh, on Fox from a couple of days ago, why schools adopted the 1619 Project as curriculum when it was full of historical errors. And it focuses a lot on the teachers' unions. Randy Weingarten, the Mm -hmm. union president of the AFT, denied that the project peddles falsehoods. Quote, all of a sudden you're hearing people who are trying to ban the 1619 Project because it is trying to actually teach a factual version of oppression in America. End quote. Uh, and Pete, you've done, you've debunked so much of this. You were on the 1776 commission, obviously, President Trump's commission to, um, you know, essentially restore the factual history of the United States and to push that into schools. Uh, but it's not just you. You know, you call yourself to the right of Genghis Khan. Well, or Attila the Hun, excuse me, wrong, uh, wrong marauder. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. But, but you know what I mean? It's, it's leftists, too. There are liberals who are saying, yeah, we understand the intent here, but no, that's not accurate. No, that's not right. That's false as well. The entire thing is a work of fiction, Pete. And yet the teachers' union seem to have huge sway in getting it put into some of America's largest public school districts. Yeah, there's a symbiotic relationship. It tells you something that they're doing this when they know that the 1619 Project is rife with errors and distortions, and of the most profound kind, claiming that the Revolutionary War was fought to preserve slavery. I mean, that, that's just most, it's like saying the moon is made out of cheese. It's just, it's, but it's worse. It's got a more pernicious element to it. That said, understand what goes on here. And, and I know you do, and much of your audience does, but I'm simply saying that rhetorically. The teachers' unions are hand-in-hand with the Democratic Party and the left generally. They promote one another. They fund one another. The fact is that when we had Attorney General Garland, and, you know, I was on Fox talking about this, um, asking that his Justice Department or directing his Justice Department to focus on parents, parents, 
who attended school board meetings because those, these parents were alarmed by the very radical teaching that was going on in their schools. By the way, the abysmal results coming from those schools in terms of the actual core curriculum, math, English, science, etc., not to mention a whole host of other disciplines, and they're focusing on things that uh, disparage the United States of America or various uh, races in the United States of America. This is part of an overarching project. Now, you know, Bob, you know, we've been doing this for a while, and if we had said this even as little as, say, six, seven years ago, people would be scratching their heads and they would say, well, this is conspiracy theory. It's no longer conspiracy theory. They're very open about what they're doing, and they don't care. They've got the complicity of the media. I think what happened is we saw a significant change in the manner in which the left is operated generally. Uh, during and after the Trump era, it almost is, it's almost as if it broke the left and they decided to abandon most pretenses and, and they didn't care so much about covering up what they're up to. They still do that, believe me, just as Biden's talking about ghost guns rather than the real causes. But nonetheless, they are just overtly doing things that are incredible and it's going to redound to their detriment as we saw with Glenn Youngkin. In uh, Virginia, we're going to see it again in a number of other jurisdictions where they're promoting not just critical race theory, but this radical gender ideology. Uh, Parents are up in arms. Uh, But understand that this is coordinated, it's purposeful, it's malignant, and they're going to continue to do this unless it's stopped. And the teachers' unions are just one of them. Uh, If you look at some of the mailings from teachers' unions to the various constituents, which I have, it's, it's truly extraordinary. You start to ask yourself, what is going on here? What about the fact... What, what are we doing in terms of actual, actual pedagogy? As I've mentioned several times on your show, we're either 38th or 39th in the world in terms of math instruction. That's where we score. 38, the United States of America is not first, it's not second, it's not even third, it's 38th or 39th. And yet we're focusing on critical race theory, we're focusing on gender ideology, we're not doing the things necessary to get those kids who are in the Baltimore schools that you and I have discussed with a 0.1 average and still are qualified for the top half of their class. This is an abomination, it's criminal what's happening, and we must hold these people to account. Now it's easy for me to talk because I haven't run for school board, but I would nonetheless encourage anybody out there who is similarly motivated, who has the time to do it, or even if you don't have the time, make the time, uh, run for these, these offices. One of the mistakes that I think we as conservatives made over the years, uh, up until recently, is that we've been focused on national elections or on congressional elections, and the left, very smartly, and i got to give Soros credit and those like him, they were focused um, at a more local level, and we found out that prosecutors, local prosecutors, school boards, have phenomenal power to shape public discourse in the direction in which we're going. Conservatives are a little bit late to that, but we are now getting our boots on, and we have to do so, and we have to run vigorously to, to take over or take back these institutions and drive us back to sanity. We can't continue along these lines. 1619 Project is fundamentally anti-American. That's the key. Whether it's ahistorical, which it is, is not so much the... the um, effort here on the part of its proponents, it's to undermine the United States of America. If I had said that 10 years ago, I should have been fitted with a tinfoil hat. Not anymore. We may be actually understating it. And what's important also, Bob, and I've done this a number of times on your show, is I want to repeat for everybody out there, because I know a number of your, your listeners, and these are some of the most motivating, motivated people around. 
Remember your index card where you have your contact information for your elected representatives. Embellish it. Put more people on there, such as people at the school board, whether it's the state school board or your local school board, so you've got that contact information readily available and give them the what for every single time you see something that displeases you. In addition to that, remember your congressional representatives. Give them a hard time. Call them daily. Do that. If you've got, a, if you've got five minutes, nothing, left, n- nothing better to do, you're watching the weather on television, pick up the phone, give them a call. Remember that index number. Congressional uh, switchboard, 202-224-3121. I've committed it to memory because I call them virtually every day. <laughs> 202-224-3121. And it's, it's therapeutic, among other things. <laughs> if you can call and give somebody the what for, it's actually, you know, vent yourself, you'll feel a lot better about it. But it's imperative that we just, you, know, you can also go to their websites, you know, www.house.gov. If you go there, you can find your congressional representative, whoever that may be, and do the same thing for the Senate, www.senate.gov. Very simple. And what I would urge you to do, let me shift real quickly, Bob, because there's so many huge items out here that I know we're not going to be able to get to. And one of them, of course, is immigration. I just, simply, I just sent a letter to to Mayorkas, excoriating him on this and detailing all the stats on this. It's extraordinary what's going on here. This is a fundamental obligation of the executive branch of our government to secure the border. As Tucker Carlson says, if you don't have a border, you don't have a country. And yet we're seeing literally millions of people flooding in. Contact Mayorkas. Contact these individuals and tell them, enforce the border. Um, They are committing crimes that is both our federal officials and the people coming across the border at an astonishing level. They are sucking resources properly that should be properly devoted to American citizens, and they are being favored in ways that Americans are being punished by their elected representatives. This is unforgivable. This is a basis for impeachment. The the president is supposed to take care to faithfully enforce the laws of the United States of America, and his fundamental obligation is to secure the uh, uh, border, not doing it. This is why, after two fake prosecutions for impeachment, we have a legitimate basis for impeachment. We don't do it cavalierly. We don't do it willy-nilly. This mandates impeachment. So when the Republicans take over, I don't, it's not theater. They have to discharge their constitutional obligations because people are out there, they're mad as hell, and they're not taking it anymore. Well, you're going to have to twist the Speaker's arm, as you know, uh, because Kevin McCarthy has said he is not going to be interested in pursuing impeachment and weaponizing impeachment the way the Democrats Yeah, do. surrender so. at, from the very beginning. Just yeah. surrender just, from the yeah, beginning. Just, yeah, he made that announcement. He really did. Pete, I want to pivot. We don't have a ton of time here, but uh, great insight, by the way, and info on all of the above. But I want to pivot to... Um, this story from Philadelphia, where Philadelphia has become the first major American city who had lifted a mask mandate, uh, recognizing that COVID is is on its way out, and this is not something we can we can hamper and and, and interfere with people's lives for anymore because it's just simply not that much of a problem. Philly is the first major city to reverse itself after just five weeks of mask free living. Uh, they are reinstating the indoor mask mandates as of April eighteenth. And this line just got to me from the city health commissioner, Cheryl Bedigal. Starting today, we're asking businesses to dig up those masks, excuse me, to dig up those masks required signs and start hanging them in your windows. Beginning Monday, April 18th, our health inspectors will begin enforcing the mask mandate again. End quote. And Pete, what got me about that is that's right. They all do still exist. The signs, the masks. 
everything is ready to pull them out of the limited storage that they were in and get ready to go again. And my thought was, Philly is first. They won't be the only. There's going to be another big city and another big city, and my, my, my feeling is this is the beginning of the theft of the 2022 midterm elections. Yeah. Philly, L.A., Chicago, Cleveland, and on and on and on. Oh, mask, 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 mask. COVID's back. There's another. There's another variant or a subvariant. It's causing a lot of problems. They've, they're welding people into their homes in Shanghai again. By the way, uh, we're not doing that, but we're just asking you to mask. We don't want you to gather in large crowds. And oh, by the way, after a few months of this, Peter, they're going to say we can't ask people to gather in large crowds in lines on election day. Universal mail-in balloting, once again, 2.0, here we come. Am I just reaching here, or is this Philadelphia first step just that, a first step? You're, you're, not, you're not reaching at all. We've had five years now of overt activity on the part of the left and the media, but I repeat myself, to construct a hegemony on the part of the left. And we saw with the 2020 election what mail balloting and all the other loosening of restrictions, many of which were unlawful, by the way, and what that did to give Democrats an advantage. And they're going to try to replicate that. Now, what's interesting is we now have two years' worth of empirical data as to whether or not these efforts actually have any kind of utility, whether or not they actually work. And that data doesn't support what they're doing. It's truly extraordinary. We just had, just this last week, a study issued that showed that the states that acted more normal than other states, in other words, they had uh, only temporary mask mandates or didn't have any mask mandates at all, they didn't have the type of restrictions that many of the more um, uh, liberal states had with respect to vaccines and uh, proof of, of vaccines before you enter certain establishments. Florida, Texas had the best outcomes. The worst outcomes, California, New York, New Jersey, and Illinois. And by outcomes, I mean the number of people who got sick, the number of people hospitalized, the number of people uh, who died, and also the economic impacts of these lockdowns and the mask mandates. So we're going to do this stupid stuff all over again for what purpose? Well, the purpose is for electoral advantage. That's the only legitimate purpose that you could have after everything else has been proven, has demonstrably shown to be deleterious to economy, to individuals, to enterprise, everything. So, yeah, I mean, what's, what's the, you know, it's amazing we are called conspiracy theorists when for the last five years all of, of our alleged conspiracies have proven true. So it's, really uh, it's really an amazing thing to watch. And these people keep going back to the same devices over and over and over again because they haven't addressed all of the problems over which they have control. In fact, those problems have been exacerbated as a direct result of their policies. Yeah, among the things that's extraordinary is the strains of the coronavirus that we currently see are mainly resulting in you know, illnesses that are not much worse than a cold, you have reduced hospitalizations by significant margin, reduced deaths by a significant margin, and we're going to be locking down again? It doesn't make any sense. But the problem is, a number of the smarter Democrats are figuring out that, yeah, we need this electoral advantage because we've really screwed the pooch with respect to the economy and everything else, and we see that there's going to be a red wave. But by the same token, if we redouble the lockdown efforts and the mask mandates, we may be exacerbating the very problem that is our electoral problem because people are rejecting it. They're rebelling against it, even in blue districts. 
They are doing exactly that, uh, Peter Kersenow, and uh, this is this is our concern. This has got to be our fight right now. By the way, they have the name for the new variant. It's called Mitermicron. Mitermicron is expected to peak. In, uh, <laughs> it's expected to peak in October, late October, early November, and they're going to recommend that everyone uh, stay away from crowds uh, when Mitermicron hits. All right, hey, Bob. Peter. One more point of personal yep. privilege. I'm, I'm resuming Kersenow for one play, as you know. So everybody <laughs> out there, please go to the Browns website. You know, go to ClevelandBrowns.com, cursing off for one play, up 6-2, Wide receiver can bench press 18 times, will put me in fourth place at the combine. I may not be as fast as I used to be, but I will catch whatever's thrown to me, and I'm mean as sin. I would love to see it, my friend. Thank you, Peter. Take care, Bob. Take care of yourself. That's Peter Kirsten on AM 1420, The Answer. Bob, Brian from Cleveland here. I was listening to the center-right liberal mouthpiece that comes on before you earlier, and he had J.D. Vance on, and they were discussing the episode between Mike Gibbons and Josh Mandel during the bait and how Josh Mandel was kind of like reading from a script, and unfortunately, Mike Gibbons fell for it. I was curious your comments about that. And he also made a comment about how uh, no spine DeWine is going to win Ohio by 30 points, plus Renacy doesn't have a chance. I was just curious what your thoughts were. Thanks, Bob. Brian, thanks for the message from Brunswick. Appreciate that. Um, he left that message on alwaysright.us, by the way, and I encourage you to do that so you don't have to sit on hold for too terribly long. Or if you're listening to the show via podcast or another time when it's not live, if you're listening on the app or something later on, you can always leave a message or make a comment or ask a question, as he just did at alwaysright.us. Click the uh, sound off button there. Uh, I'll respond to both those. J.D. Vance is smart. All right? One thing J.D. Vance is absolutely is smart. He's a, he's, he's, a, he's a rookie at this, but he sounds and acts like a seasoned politician. He knows how to paint that situation with uh, Mandel and Gibbons in the best possible light for himself, and he's doing a good job of that. I would do the same thing, by the way. I would do the same thing. I think Josh is scripted in many ways. Uh, I think Josh clings too hard to the two tours being the answer to every question. I think that's what J.D. said to him, by the way, on that stage the day, the night that happened, that little showdown with Gibbons. He said the answer to every question can't be two tours in Iraq. And it's true. It can't be. Uh, that, of course, is not to diminish, disparage. J.D., by the way, got away with that because he uh, is a Marine as well. Uh, so, you know, you got one Marine telling another Marine, stop using your services, the answer to every question. Uh, I can just tell you, while I am not a veteran, I am in no way disparaging two tours in Iraq. But the point is, when the question is about private sector, or when the question is about taxes or immigration or something, the, the answer can't always be two tours in Iraq send in the Marine. You're going to have to come with something better than that, and I hope Josh knows that. Uh, as for Gibbons, did he take the bait? I don't think he had much of a choice in terms of responding the way he did because Josh stood up when it was Gibbons' time to speak and he walked right up to him nose to nose and got in his face and Gibbons isn't going to stand there and walk away and back down. So he yelled right back at him, you don't know squat, you don't know squat. I'm surprised no uh, expletives flew between the two, to be quite honest with you. Uh, so did he take the bait? I don't know. But what he did say is you didn't work in the private sector and I don't like the fact that Josh turned that into you're saying I've never worked. Never said it. 
I never said that Marine work or war is not work. Um, but J.D. is smart. He knows how to play this for his adva- to his advantage, and I think it's closing the gap in the polls. He's right there neck and neck with the front runners, Gibbons and Mandel now, so he's smart. As for DeWine, I know Hugh likes him because they're very similar. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, I want to disparage anybody, particularly a colleague, but I will just say that I wholeheartedly disagree with Hugh Hewitt. Mike DeWine is not popular in the state with Republicans. He's more popular with Democrats, probably. Uh, and if we have any kind of a backbone whatsoever as a conservative movement, we will make sure he does not get past the primary uh, on May 3rd. We will make sure that uh, Mike DeWine does not win. And there is only one candidate who can win that primary who's not named Mike DeWine. And it's not the guy who's under federal investigation for campaign finance violations. So you, you, you put two and two and two together and see what you get. Thank you, Brian, for the call and the questions. I'll take more of those and live calls because we're guest-free in the hour, third hour of the program coming up on AM 1420 The Answer. This hour of Always Right with Bob France is brought to you by Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. You and, you and I, I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is always right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now at 11.10. Going to take you through about three quarters of this hour. We always give the last few minutes to Bill O'Reilly. We'll take it up until noon and Charlie Kirk. Then Charlie Kirk to Dennis Prager. Dennis Prager to the good doctor. Dr. G, I'll tell you what, stay right here all day. AM 1420, The Answer. Good news for you on Always Right Radio. Hour number three is guest-free, so plenty of time for you to get in with your phone calls to 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We'd love to hear from you. Also love getting the messages from people on the webpage at alwaysright.us. Just go to the sound off button on the right, right-hand side of the page and uh, click record. First, you put in your name and your email address. Click record, click stop recording, click send, and it comes right to me, just like this one from the right-hand side of the page and uh, click record. First, you put in your name and your email address. Click record, click stop recording, click send, and it comes right to me, just like this one from Karen in Richfield. Using the Brandon logic of blaming guns for violent crime, next on the list are forks which cause obesity, keyboards, which cause hate speech, and exercise equipment, 
which causes joint injuries. Keep it going, Joe. Keep blaming inanimate objects instead of addressing the real reasons why people choose to misuse these objects. Yours is the mindset and party of denial, ignorance, and propaganda. Karen, thank you for that message. I concur. Uh, the, it, it is exactly that. Joe, I promise you, was thrilled with the decision to um, uh, to hold, which gun manufacturer was it who got held liable in uh, uh, the uh, Sandy Hook shootings? Um, I cannot remember now, and I apologize for that. But uh, they sued some of the parents in the Sandy Hook atrocity, uh, sued the gun manufacturer for the killings of those children by a nut named Adam Lanza, uh, saying that they advertised to nuts and uh, that it would encourage a nut to get one of their guns and go and shoot it. Just an absolute insanity. Uh, I guarantee you Joe Biden supported that. And if Joe Biden uh, had hit, well, you know, I guess it depends on the victims. I was about to say, Joe Biden would be the kind of guy who would support suing General Motors or Chrysler, as Karen was just saying, if that vehicle was used to kill somebody. Um, but then I thought about it, I had to think about it, say it depends on who the victim was. If the victim was Heather Heyer, who was tragically killed by the white nationalist idiot in Charlottesville in 2017, driving that car into a crowd, he'd probably want to blame not only uh, the, the, uh, the, the individual, but he probably would hold the car manufacturer allowable. Why'd you sell a car to that guy? I know it sounds stupid, but we're talking about Joe Brandon. He is stupid. However, when the nut job drove that van through the massive Christmas crowd in Wisconsin and, and killed and injured scores of people, uh, didn't hear a word. Not a word. So I guess it just depends on who the victim is. The bottom line is what Karen said is right. Joe Biden is uh, trying to blame the gun rather than the person using the gun. Blame the weapon rather than the individual whose motivation should be what is being scrutinized here. Blaming people for using ghost guns, which is just a ridiculous term. Uh, There have been guns that are not registered, that are not serialized with serial numbers because people file them off for a very long time so that it can't be traced. Because guns on the open market, on the black market, are very, very prevalent. They don't have to be bought in little pieces and assembled at home like he tried to demonstrate yesterday. Uh, It was an embarrassment listening to this. This is not the remedy for the violent crime spike that's going on in this country. It's just absolutely not. If you commit a crime with a ghost gun, expect federal prosecution. I just say, expect federal prosecution. Expect federal prosecution. He slurred past his, uh, his polygrip. Uh, expect federal prosecution. Well, how about just prosecuting criminals, regardless of what kind of gun that they use, and lock them up for a very long time? Set the pace let people know you mess around you go attacking people with guns you're going away for a very long time but he won't do that why because the overwhelming majority of gun crimes are being committed by biden voters that's the reality statistics don't lie the reality is that roughly six percent of the population commits around 50 percent of the gun crimes six percent of the population And that is African-American males, generally between the ages of 15 and 24, most of the time gang members. 
He didn't want to say that, so we got to blame the gun that they're using instead of the individual and locking them up. He wanted them to lock them up. Equity, man. Come on, man. Equity. We can't be locking up too many people of one race and not enough of the other. I'm That's sick an- of this stuff. Yeah, I bet you are. It's not equitable. He went on in this uh, ridiculous little show yesterday to try to try to explain what the Second Amendment was all about. Problem is, he doesn't have an earthly idea about the Second Amendment. And by the way, it's going to sound bizarre. I support the Second Amendment. You have a right. But from the very beginning, the Second Amendment didn't say you can own any gun you want, big as you want. You couldn't buy a cannon when, in fact, the Second Amendment passed. Um, actually, you could. And as Red State pointed out, the last time he uttered this lie, he, he just repeats the same talking points every time uh, whenever he does a, a, a conversation on guns. Uh, the last time he made that ridiculous argument, he got four Pinocchios from the Washington Post because he absolutely is wrong. He attacks gun manufacturers claiming they have some kind of unique immunity that no other company has that they can't be sued. Obviously, we know that's not true because of the Sandy Hook story. But but the real ridiculous notion here is that he's saying that the gun manufacturers have some sort of immunity that no other company does. He is the guy who has been pushing for the last calendar year plus the Pfizer non-vaccine profit jabs, knowing full well that Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson & Johnson are not able to be prosecuted or sued in any way for anything that is done, any sort of adverse effects that are done because of those drugs. They have full and unique immunity in the drug world. And Biden wants you to think that gun manufacturers somehow have immunity. First of all, they should have immunity from what somebody does with the gun. If a, if a weapon is made for legal purposes and somebody chooses to use it illegally, that manufacturer of that weapon should not be held liable for that choice made by the user. But he tried to argue. They're the only outfit in the country that is immune. Imagine had the tobacco industry been immune to, pros- to being sued. Come on. Had the tobacco industry been immune to prostitute. Imagine if the tobacco companies had been immune to prostitute. To, uh, to to getting sued. <laughs> Does he have his son on his mind this morning? Yesterday, I should say, was his was his son on his mind when he started talking about prostitutes? Imagine had the tobacco industry been immune to prostitute being sued. Come on. In February, the families of nine. Stop. 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 First of all, the gun manufacturers should have immunity. Second of all, they don't. Third of all, they wouldn't be the only ones if they if they are because of, as I pointed out, the ridiculousness of the uh, of the profit jabs. And then finally, this ridiculous story, which he also said during his State of the Union address. And I know it's controversial, but I got it done once: ban assault weapons and high capacity magazines. He's all bragging about how I got it done once, because this was done back when he was in the Senate. Uh, And it was also proven after the study was done, after the 10 years of the assault weapons ban, which, of course, is not a thing. There is no such thing as a quote-unquote assault weapon. It's It's like ghost guns. It's a name that is created to create fear, a name that is invented to propagate fear. It's an assault weapon. Well, you know what? Most weapons are going to be used to assault the person being shot by it, uh, you can call it whatever you want, but that's what weapons are for, whether it's a six-shooter, whether it's a thirty-eight, 
whether it's a 9mm, whether it's a, an AR-15. It doesn't matter. It's being used to assault someone. The goal, of course, is for it to be in the hands of law-abiding people who only use it to assault those who are attacking them. But this assault weapons nonsense, go back to the 10 years that, that the, this was in place, and you know what they found? They found no difference whatsoever in the number of shootings. Violent gun crime did not change one iota when the quote-unquote assault weapons ban was put into place. I was getting criticized when I first passed this law when I was a senator. And guess what? I was down in southern Delaware doing a lot of hunting and fishing down there. And I was walking up one of the creek beds. And the guy standing there said, you want to take my gun? I said, I'll take your gun. So you're telling me I can't have more than the next number of bullets in a in in, in, a, in my gun, and I said, "What do you think the deer you're hunting are wear Kevlar vest? What the hell you need twenty bullets for? You must be a hell of a terrible shot." It's the same exact line that he used in the State of the Union address, and I'm going to give it the same exact response that I gave it then. The Second Amendment was never written for deer hunters. And needing a high capacity was never intended for sport shooting or for hunting. It is intended so that a person can defend himself and his, and his family against somebody who may have horrific intentions and who are not limited to five or ten bullets in their gun, not limited in the size of their magazine, and oftentimes aren't alone. I mean, think about that. The reason people want to have the high capacity if they need it is because they're not in a moment of panic and fear as they're being attacked, always going to hit what they try to hit. It may take quite a few tries as they run for cover and scramble to defend themselves. So the criminals can have an unlimited amount of bullets, but those looking to protect themselves against those criminals, you can't have more because... Well, you think them deers wearing Kevlar vests? You must be a terrible shot. This guy is so stupid, it's painful. In Texas, he would be called a stampede of stupid. And the worst part about it is, is he thinks that he's being cute and clever. Every time he offers up his stupid, you couldn't buy a cannon, and the deer aren't wearing Kevlar. Every time he and the gun manufacturers have immunity, and the only ones. Every time he tells a lie like that, he does it waiting. Did you 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 notice the the pause? Now, I guess it could be one of two things. He could be pausing because he's really really struggling to remember what to say next, or it's he's waiting for some applause. He's pausing so that people go, "Ah, oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, those deer don't have Kevlar. Why do you need that many bullets? Because it's not about deer hunting, you buffoon." 1122. I had to get that out there. My apologies to those on hold. Stay there. You're next. AM 1420, The Answer. All right, let's go to the phones. Uh, As promised, TJ in Cleveland has been waiting. You're up, uh, TJ. Go right ahead. Yeah. You know, Bob, if you look at Joe Biden real closely, you'll notice on his forehead it looks like a check engine light. Uh but, you know, that's like all these wrong-way drivers and DUIs. I guess the problem with that is ghost liquor. I, I, the guy's <laughs> insane. But, but you know, one thing Steve Loomis was talking about that puzzles me, and he's right, in these uh, uh, high-crime neighborhoods, the people want more police. But when it, 
comes time to go to the polls, what do they do? They go and they vote for anti-police liberals constantly. And then when crime hits them right between the eyes, they're complaining, where's the police? We need more police. You can't have it both ways. And, and you know, the bottom line is the people end up getting what they ask for. Well, Pete, or Pete, excuse me, TJ, you know, you're, you're exactly right. And I'm so glad, uh, that you, you brought it up the way that you did. He is, and thanks for the call. He is, um, he is an idiot. And a ghost liquor is a great line, by the way. And everything that you're saying is true. And everything that we are all saying is true. But yet the left wants to continue to dismiss these things. It's a great metaphor. It's a great analogy. And it's, it's, it sounds stupid to think that somebody could blame the manufacturer of a liquor, uh, or, or, or an alcohol of any kind for the action somebody committed while under the, under the uh, influence of that alcohol. And it's the same way with the guns. The only difference, of course, being that alcohol is not a constitutional right, whereas the Second Amendment does indeed provide the right for us to have guns. Uh, Georgian is in Willoughby next. Hi, Georgian. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. Uh, I, and shout out to TJ. I love that guy. He's anyway, guy. Um, I have an acquaintance who uh, is sending uh, their child to Brexville Broadview High School, and she got a form in the, ma- in the email uh, for participation physical evaluation form. At the bottom, it says sex assigned at birth, female, male, or intersex. And then on the next column, it says uh, the sports participation. How do you identify your gender, female, male, or other? This is crazy. This is a four-year-old child we're talking about. You know what you tell that four-year-old child and all the four-year-old children? You tell them this. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. Mark Robinson, the uh, pastor yes. in North Carolina, who's the lieutenant he governor down great. there. He was great. He really I was and to is. That. Yeah, he and, was, and, and he was cheered by his, the congregation. You when better he said believe that. it. You better believe mm-hmm. it. And look, everything, you know, this is, this is the, this is the battle for the future of our culture, not our country, yes. but our culture. And, and, and I mean this very, very seriously. This isn't like hyperbole or for the sake of, you know, over dramatizing something for, for radio. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Our culture is under a severe attack right now. They have targeted our children yes. by, by yes. brainwashing them and indoctrinating them into a certain way of thinking at a very, very young age, the most formative age, to the point where you'll never be able to undo it when they're 20. Uh, they're going to have been yeah. taught this from four or three through, you know, their, their high mm-hmm. school and college years. And it's going to, I might not be alive to see it. You might not be alive mm-hmm. to see it, but there's going no. to be a, a, a destruction of the culture that the the greatest civilization in the history of mankind has ever built is and is working gone. At it intently here, they are they're, they're working at it constantly. They are. It's, it's in, they, they don't it's believe in the nuclear family. They do do not mm-hmm. believe that nope. children should be raised by parents. They should be raised by right. the community. The community knows better. The experts mm-hmm. know better. The technocrats know better. The transhumanists yes. who want to who want to you know implant oh. uh, all of this stuff into Gosh, their heads. Bob. Yeah, exactly right. You know all about mm-hmm. it. You know all about mm-hmm. it. I do. I do. So, yeah, yeah. this is a, this is Great. an assault that is happening in our schools. Obviously, it's happening at the amusement parks through Disney and so on and so forth. And if people don't recognize the seriousness of this, they're going to watch our entire culture go away. We'll look down from our, if we're fortunate enough to be put into heaven, uh, you know, if we allow our children to be destroyed and if we allow our culture to be destroyed, I don't know if God would deem us worthy. But if we are able to look on from the afterlife at the havoc that we left behind um it will be something that that you know that that tortures our souls for all eternity i know that sounds dramatic but i really think it's that serious thank you georgian for the phone call 
It's 11.30. we got time for more. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. We won't be alive to see the destruction that we allowed to be built while we were alive. And I think that's something that will haunt us, like I said, into even the afterlife. News time now. AM 1420, The Answer. Right back. Ain't genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. upside down and the majority turns to the left turn to the right always right with bob france on am 1420 the answer ain't but two genders two genders ain't that but men and women preach on pastor preach on you know to listen to the american left tell it god is just really really bad at his job to listen to the American left tell it, boy, God is just out there, man. He's just a flake. He's he's just screwing things up. He's flipping one guy into the wrong body and one girl into the wrong body. And, and there's just trans people all over the place. Some of these people he didn't even make with any identity at all. They're not boys or girls. They're just out there. Boy, God is awful at this, according to the American left. There's a number of stories you need to check out at alwayswrite.us right now about that and more. But particularly that, this just seems to be, as I said to the previous caller, this is the defining struggle right now of our time. Now, I say that from time to time. I'll say this is the most important issue of our time, free speech, uh, usually, because we're trying to defend the the, the country and, and our rights as people right now today. That's different than when I say this is the defining struggle of our time because I think it's something that goes beyond our country. It's our culture that, that is at risk right now. If we allow this trans agenda, this rainbow mafia, to, to essentially win the war on science, and that's what they're waging, it's a war against science, you understand? If we allow them to win the war on science, our culture changes forever. Uh, daddies and mommies will be a thing of the past. There are stories all over alwayswrite.us uh, that will show you what I'm talking about right now. Doctors grooming children by telling them at very, very young ages that they may or may not be a boy or a girl. You'll have to figure that out for yourself. Teachers telling these children, your doctor guessed when you were born because he looked and saw something on you or that wasn't on you if you understand the meaning, and decided that's what you were going to be, quote-unquote, assigned. These kids are being confused. One doctor, or one teacher, rather, was fired, thank goodness for small mercies, was fired for telling uh, children, I'm your parents now, and blank them if they don't love and accept you for who you are. This is a trans teacher, I guess, whatever you want to call him, whatever he wants to call himself, how he got hired, I'll never understand. No way this guy, and I'm looking at the video right now, no way this guy walks into a an interview looking like that and gets hired to be a teacher of young children. None. Sorry, professionalism and looking like an adult matters. But this guy basically told all of his students 
that you don't have to be what you were quote unquote assigned at birth. And if you want to be something else, you do it. And if your parents don't like it, F them. I'm your parents now. Well, he got fired, so that's good. But that's one tiny drop in a in an ocean of uh of, of battles that we have to fight here. One school went private after the first grade teacher at this public school tell, told kids that sometimes the doctor is wrong when he makes a guess as to the baby's sex. This one I was referencing before. The school went private. Uh, not not I don't mean I don't mean private school. Let me rephrase. I'm I'm saying I'm butchering that. My apologies. I don't mean that they went uh, from a public school to a private school. They are a public school that had a public Twitter account and public social media. Once it went viral, what they are allowed to happen with the teachers in their school, they went private, meaning uh, on lockdown. Nobody gets to see what's going on in those schools anymore. So I apologize for the way I butchered that. But here's the point that I do want you to get from it. The one positive aspect that COVID-19 brought to our country, the one, and you might say, what do you mean? It, a lot of people died. Well, yeah, a lot of people did. A lot of pe- more people died and got injured from vaccines, and it was a lot of terrible things. But if you're looking for one silver lining to that very, very terrible COVID cloud, it was the fact that kids got to go home and open their computers and be taught by their teachers via Zoom. And for the first time, parents got a peek inside the classroom. For the first time, the parents got to hear this, this gibberish, this nonsense, this grooming, this indoctrination. And now that the kids are back in schools, parents are at school board meetings demanding to know what's going on. If there's one positive aspect to take away from it, that would be it. Now we know. Now we know what's going on. We didn't before. And schools like this, obviously, are trying their very best to close the door again. That's why they're going private on their social media accounts. They don't want people to know what their teachers are force-feeding the kids as they groom them. Amy is in Hudson next. Amy, go right ahead. You're on the air. Oh, hello? Hi, Amy. Go ahead. Oh, wonderful. Sorry, I was talking to somebody. Um, I would like to tell a little vignette very quickly in support of your and Peter Kirsenauer's topic about criminals not being punished. Okay. Uh, this goes back quite a few years, like 35 years ago. Our daughter, number two, came home and she asked, Mom, where have I heard that we are by nature sinful and unclean? I told her that it was part of our church's liturgy. And why do you ask? So she said that her Catholic school religion teacher said that if you commit murder, it is not your fault. It is society's fault. So it seems to me that these liberal socialists are like termites. They destroy the house in the dark slowly and methodically. When one does discover the damage it, damage it has done or they have done, it may be too late. Oh, there's another. Have I got time for uh, one no, more no, quick? No, no, probably not, but I want to respond to the okay. one you just did. And you call me back uh, tomorrow and we'll, we'll get the other one if you would like, Amy. Um, that's, uh, that's a pretty powerful little vignette, as you call it. Uh, and that is exactly what it is like. Uh, they are like termites, and they are destroying uh, our, our, 
our civilizational house, if you will, from the foundation on up. And I thank you so much for that great phone call and for the uh, for the uh, metaphor. Uh, that's all the time we do have for today. Obviously, uh, thank you to Steve Loomis and thank you to Peter Kirsten. Now, thanks to Johnny Howes running the show. Thanks to you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Let's go, Brandon.